but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today here, bringing down all that is in Minnesota sports. I'm CJ Baumgartner. Thanks for listening in. And as I said earlier, we got a lot to talk to. A uh, lot to talk about with uh, the weekend of football and the Wild starting out 2-0, and the Gophers getting a big win in Nebraska, and the Vikings just continuing to uh, make us watch these games from beginning to end because, my goodness, is this team hard to watch. But yet they're 3-3, three and three, and that's what we told them they needed to do, and they did it. So points for doing that. And before we get any further into our discussion of this Minnesota Vikings game, uh, and before we get into our stock up, stock down for this week, would just like to point out that we said when they started out one and two, we said if you can get to three and three by the bye, and when they started out one and three especially, if you can just win your next two games, if you get to three and three at the bye week, it's not ideal. You would obviously like to have been four and one or or uh, or four and two rather or five and one or whatever. I mean six and zero, oh, but you're stuck where you are right now and you know what that's fine you put yourself you dug yourself in a hole you're able to dig yourself out of it for the most part which was something that last year's vikings they dug themselves into the one and five hole and then had to claw their way back up so this is i mean it's just a little bit different but they got to three and three by the bye week which is what if they needed to save their season if they wanted to be in any good position to make the playoffs they needed to go three and three after losing to cleveland and they did that so good on them. They're three and three right now. They are in to the bye week, uh, and it came at a much needed time. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about our stock up, stock down here for this week. And stock up. Why don't we give it to KJ Osborne? I mean, the guy was making plays left and right. Had the game-winning touchdown uh, reception. Uh, in overtime, the guy had a couple of great uh, third down catches as well. And I got to tell you what, I've been saying that at the beginning uh, when we started uh, a few weeks ago, or at the beginning of the season rather, when uh, we first talked on the podcast that uh, Irv Smith was going to miss the rest of the season. And uh, I said, this is actually going to, uh, you know, obviously it's bad that Irv Smith is hurt. He was going to be a great player. He was going to have a great season. He'll come back next year. But the Vikings can use a terrible situation and make the most of it by embracing something new. This team was ready to go two tight ends with two wide receivers, and now this kind of made them embrace having three wide receivers on the field, and having three wide receivers on the field has opened up K.J. Osborne, and not only that, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson having great seasons means that K.J. Osborne has just been able to eat up getting all these single coverages or being the guy that in zone coverage that teams are like, we're not going to be worried about K.J. Osborne. But K.J. Osborne, and that's the thing, you know, I've said over the, and I'm not the only one beating on this drum, but I've said over the last few years, if the Vikings can get a wide receiver three, just a competent guy, which is why losing Jerry is right all those years ago was such a, was such a dumb mistake. Because having two main guys like the Vikings have had for the last five years now, having two main guys is great, and it's a luxury. Most teams don't even have one good guy. But having two great guys and one 
serviceable, above-average wide receiver to take that slot, that number three hole in your receiving lineup, just takes your offense to another level. Because you saw it in 2018 when the Vikings would play teams at all. And they'd be like, okay, we're going to have a man on Diggs and Thielen all game, and one of the safeties are going to be over top of each of them, and that's going to do it, and we're going to dare them to throw it to Laquan Treadwell. Or uh, I, I, the guy's name is blanking on me. He was a – Kirk Cousins liked to throw to him. He used to play with him in Washington. I think it was like Aldridge or something like – LaMarcus Aldridge or something like, That's NBA. All right. Uh, yeah, so you can see – obviously that's and my point exactly is you have no idea who these guys are because the Vikings really just didn't care to do wide receiver three, and they've been lacking this ever since they had Jarius Wright. And by the way, what's K.J. Osborne's number? 17. What was Jarius Wright's number? 17. So I just want to point out that having a wide receiver three, having a K.J. Osborne, having him take the step up that, frankly, very few people saw coming, and I definitely didn't see coming at this level, K.J. Osborne, I mean, you just hear me rave about him here for uh, for a good couple minutes. K.J. Osborne, stock up, man. He's balling out. What a great season he's having. He's setting himself up to have a really, uh, really nice career if he can keep this going with the way that he's been uh, progressing his way up uh, here on the Vikings. And now let's go stock down the run defense yet again. And I don't know, and it, the Carolina Panthers have offensive genius, Joe Brady. Oh my gosh, he was an offensive genius. Do you know he was the offensive coordinator at LSU in 2019 when they had like five NFL players, five NFL first round draft picks on their offense? Ooh, what an offensive mastermind to be able to win a national title with that. Like, I could have ran and I could have won a national title with that. I could have said, Joe Burrow, throw it to Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Thaddeus Moss. Like, I, with with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield. I could have told you to do that. I, Joe Brady's overrated. The Panthers are overrated. Matt Rule's an overrated head coach until proven otherwise. Uh, and the Vikings almost lost him yesterday. But the run deep, and here's the thing, the Vikings would have lost if the Panthers would have just... I don't know, ran the ball more. I don't know if they thought because they didn't have Christian McCaffrey that they weren't allowed to just pound the rock, but Chubba Hubbard was having a, I think that's how you pronounce his name, funny name, uh, funny first name, I should say. And uh, I don't know why they didn't run him more. They were in a position to run up and down the Vikings all game, and they just refused to do it because they felt like they needed to pass more because offensive geniuses were in the room and they got to work, guys. They need to pass the ball. You need to, you, you know, you I don't know. And I know I get on the Vikings for not passing enough, but it's situational awareness. If the Vikings were getting four yards a rush with Dalvin Cook or five yards, obviously I'm not going to say, now do a pass. You're going to consistently get chunk yardage like most of the time the Panther running backs were able to do. Then keep doing it. I, I don't know. So the run defense has been a problem, and the Vikings are going to have some good running backs uh, against the Cowboys. Got to deal with uh, Zeke. You got to deal with Pollard. You have to deal with, uh, in a couple weeks, the Chargers. Uh, with uh, Eckler, you're going to have to deal with the Packers, with Jones. I mean, you're going to have to deal with some good running backs coming up. And even still, the Ravens, Latavius Murray, I know the Vikings know him. And even, here's the thing, this run defense, they make other players look better than they are. So they're going to need to step it up. I know Michael Pierce has been out. I know they've been going through some stuff. But they, they have to figure it out. And hopefully during the bye week, they can figure out what works. Because I mean, Zimmer knows this, which is why he tried to sign all those defensive linemen. You need them on your line. You need to plug up the running lanes and make a team one-dimensional. Because even though passing is obviously the go-to in the NFL now, 
if you can run up and down the field on a team, 99% of the time they're going to win, or at least a very high percentage of the time. All right, stock up here, Christian Derisaw getting that first NFL start. Now, we talked last week on the podcast, you can go back and listen to it. We were saying, is it more beneficial to kind of slowly work in Derisaw because of the fact that he hasn't had a lot of reps yet and he still has to kind of get into that game shape? And we said maybe it was best to just slowly work him in and slowly acclimate him in. The Vikings decided Rashad Hill was not good enough, and... The Vikings were proven right on that situation, and I guess their thought going into it was, well, we'll get him his first NFL start under his belt, and we'll go into the bye week, so if he kind of feels out of shape, if he feels beat up a little bit, he gets a whole week to rest up and to kind of get his stuff going again. So maybe that's, you know, that could be what the Vikings' thought process was. Don't think it's a terrible thought process. Sort of maybe like to work him in a little bit slower, but when he had a performance like he did, he had zero sacks. Zero pressures. I think he had a hurry up. I don't know what the difference is quite, uh, but I believe that there's a difference. But the point is, is Derisaw didn't give up a single sack and only hurried, made Cousins hurry up once. So that's pretty dang good for your first NFL start. And by the way, that Panther defense was uh, fifth in the league in uh, yards per play. Or, yeah, in yards per play allowed. They were uh, pretty darn good in terms of their defense, and the Vikings did a good job holding them. Uh, and a lot of that was in part of the line, and Christian Derrissaw looks like he can play, and if Spielman can hit on two offensive linemen, uh, I guess, you guys, we can do anything. It, it, we can cure world hunger if Spielman can figure out how to finally draft offensive linemen. It's like the pictures of a society with this and society without it, and uh, one side's like just a dump and the other side's like a futuristic metropolis. That's what it's going to look like if Spielman can finally draft offensive linemen. All right. Christian Derrissaw, doing really well. Hopefully that continues. First round pick, finally getting to play. That's a huge plus for the Vikings to have Rashad Hillis move into the backup role now. And uh, stock down is your pass defense depth. Now, it was announced earlier this afternoon that Patrick Peterson was going to miss some time. This uh, He's going to miss the next three games. So he's put on the IR. You don't miss three weeks. You miss three games. So uh, Patrick Peterson is going to be out a whole month. And one of the things that Zimmer liked, I can't remember if he made a specific point to it, but I mean, with Mike Zimmer, you have to assume availability. Uh, Patrick Peterson has never missed a start up until this point. And it's tough to see. Now, it's not season-ending, which is a, a huge sigh of relief, but he is going to miss uh, three of the toughest games of the year. Cowboys on Sunday Night Football at home, at Ravens, at Chargers. I mean, you look at the uh, Dallas alone. Look at the scary wide receivers that they have. Ravens, I mean, you just got to worry about Lamar. Rashad Bateman, though, he's finally starting to play. And the Chargers have some weapons as well. And maybe you get him back for the Packers. But that's the thing. Patrick Peterson being out, he was starting to play a little bit better. I know he didn't have the greatest start to the year, but uh, he started to pick some things up as the seasons went on. And now he's going to miss some time, which is going to be a huge blow to the Vikings' pass defense because now who's your number one corner? It's not Rashad Breland. Cam Dantzler's in Mike Zimmer's doghouse. I have no idea what you're going to do if you're Spielman. I mean, you already burnt a fourth-round pick on a tight end who finally caught a pass yesterday. I, I don't know. You, you probably have to go out and make a trade for somebody, I think. It depends on how serious you are. If you're Spielman and Zimmer burn next year's draft pick, you got to win this year. I don't know. I think you have to make a trade for somebody. You still have a little bit left on the trade deadline. You have the whole bye week to sit there and figure out what you want to do. 
they got to figure something out because that pass defense depth without uh, without Patrick Peterson not looking uh, not looking too good. Also, uh, stock up is Captain Comeback Kirk. I mean, I don't know what more to say. I've, I've been critical of Kirk Cousins. Those of you who listen to the podcast have known that I've been critical of Kirk Cousins. I've also been willing to praise Kirk Cousins when he's done the right thing. And I think I've, I'm patting myself on the back, and maybe you guys can call me out if you think I'm not doing a good job. I feel like I've been calling balls and strikes with Kirk Cousins, saying, you know what, he's done this good, he's done this bad, he needs to work on this, but he's done this well. And he's really – it's weird to say that a quarterback past age 30 has grown into something – He's grown a little bit more into that leading a team down the field kind of thing. He's gotten better at that and at least putting teams in a position. Week one against Cincinnati, he put them in a position to kick the field goal uh, and to tie the game, send it to overtime. And would have if Dalvin Cook didn't fumble. Uh, you look at week two against Arizona, drove them right down the field and should have won that game. You look at uh, Cleveland, didn't work out very well. Seattle, they didn't need to, but... And, you know, last week was Detroit, so I didn't really want to give him a ton of credit for Detroit. But the Carolina Panthers have a good defense. And you know what? Kirk Cousins not only led a game-winning drive twice, by the way, because Greg Joseph missed the field goal, and then we went to overtime. And then uh, they said, screw kickers, and they just scored. But 571 yards of offense. That's really good against one of the best defenses in the NFL up to this point in the season. This offense can cook. And the reason that they, and we'll talk about this in a second, is they need to be more aggressive. But Kirk Cousins has been playing his the best football of his career. I know a couple seasons ago we talked about that, and we, he goes through that one-month stretch. But Kirk Cousins has been playing genuinely the best football of his career. I know he always puts up good statistics, but they've just been better this year. And not only that, Kirk Cousins has looked like a different quarterback. There was a time where he escaped a sack from Ryan Burns. He spun out, got like 12 yards on the game, on the... It was either the drive for the touchdown or it was the drive to set up the field goal. But either way, he just those one that's one where you see him like fall down and look hapless as he gets up off the ground. You see Kirk Cousins, I don't know if it's like he's finally come to terms with who he is or if they've just figured some stuff out internally or what has happened. But Kirk Cousins has been playing the best football of his career, and you know what? There's been no meltdown games. He hasn't and maybe that's coming, so we still have a lot of football left to play this season. But he's been playing pretty darn well, and it's been really fun to see because this Vikings offense can sling it when they want to. We'll get into that in a second. But Kirk Cousins, as I said before, saved Mike Zimmer's job twice, by the way. Zimmer was about ready to get fired if they would have lost to Detroit, and for for sure if they would have lost to Carolina. If they would have lost those games back-to-back, gone, because you go into the bye week, gone. There's no way you keep the head coach after that, after going 1-5 and or whatever it is. So... Kirk Cousins saved Mike Zimmer's job twice because Mike Zimmer's job security is our last stock down here. He needs to stop being so conservative. And we talked about this on the podcast. We talked about this on the podcast last week when Ian Rivers was on. And we talked about Zimmer's lack of urgency and lack of willingness to be aggressive has been a detriment to him. And the funniest part about that is Zimmer has been his best as a head coach when he's been aggressive. Zimmer has been his best as a head coach when he went for it on fourth down. Remember last year, everybody made fun of him. Everybody ripped him for going for it on fourth down against Seattle, and then they ended up losing the game. But if Alexander Madison runs the play the right way, the Vikings win that game. The call was right. The execution wasn't good. And maybe you put that on coaching. But in the moment, that was an aggressive move by Zimmer. And you know what? It should have worked. And you know what? 
I'm getting Zimmer has made when Zimmer is gone the gutsy moves. And I think that was something when he first got here, he was willing to do the gutsier moves. He was willing to, I remember there was a game in Chicago at a TCF bank stadium and he punted in, he kicked the ball first so they could have the wind on a windy day in St. Paul. And that helped the Vikings because Chicago had to punt. The punt was weak. The Vikings got the ball back, kicked a field goal. And it's just things like that where it's like this guy is gutsy. And now you just feel like he's playing scared a little bit because he's playing for his job. And that's the one thing. He needs to be more aggressive. And this gets into our next point here. This is what happens when you play to win. When you play not to lose, you end up losing games. I can't stress that enough. I've talked about it with P.J. Fleck, and that's how they lost to Bowling Green. And we'll talk about that in a second, how they open up the playbook to Tanner Morgan. And fancy that, they score 30 points. I mean, you just look at everything. The conservative head coaches in the NFL and in the college ranks, but let's focus more on the NFL here. The ones that are bad are the ones that are cowardly. You see it all the time. When teams should go for it on fourth and two at around midfield and they decide to punt to pin the pin the offense back, uh, that never works. Be aggressive. And you know what? People more and more, if you watch, if you see on Twitter, if you see on whatever, when coaches make the cowardly moves like that, Everybody roots against you to lose because it's not – one, it's not fun. It's way more fun to see teams go for it on fourth down and the stakes are raised. But other than that, that's just the trend that the NFL is moving towards is being aggressive. Now, that doesn't mean go for it on every fourth down, but it means Mike Zimmer has to be more aggressive. And it's not even just on going for it on fourth down. It's about the play calling. I know people have gone after Clint Kubiak, but Clint Kubiak is a first-time play caller. You think he – I mean, Gary Kubiak was a guy Zimmer liked – He's a guy Zimmer respected, and Gary Kubiak had a lot of years of coaching to where when he's like, we need to push the ball downfield more, Zimmer would be more inclined to listen to him. And not that Zimmer's not listening to Clint Kubiak, but when you're Clint Kubiak, you're not going to sit there and tell Mike Zimmer what plays you're going to call. You're going to follow his lead and do the best you can through that. And that doesn't mean Clint Kubiak is unblameable in this situation, but what it means is Mike Zimmer, dude, let the offense sling it. Lean into being a passing offense and throw it deep. You have Adam Thielen. You have Justin Jefferson. K.J. Osborne is emerging. You have guys underneath like Conklin and Thielen. If you don't want him to go deep all the time, he still can make those plays towards the middle of the field and run good routes. Let Jefferson, let Osborne, let all these guys go deep. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Lean into being the running offense that you know you can be into the passing offense that you can be, into running the offense that's a passing offense, I should say. But there's just multiple times where the Vikings have played just to get by teams, and it's bit them nearly every time. They almost lost to Detroit because they played to not lose. They almost lost to Carolina because they played to not lose. And when you keep doing that, and I feel like that was part of the way against Cincinnati too, is you just, you played like you didn't want to lose the game. Like you were just coming in, let's win the game and get out of here. When you do that, you lose. Go in, guns blazing, and you know when you lose because you tried to, because you were trying too hard to beat a team, teams' fan bases forgive you more than they do for, why didn't, why did you play down to them? Why didn't you take them more seriously? Why didn't you, so that's, that's the thing. Because you're not, you're going to need to be able to be aggressive and put the gas pedal down when you play teams like Dallas. When you play teams like Baltimore, when you play Aaron Rodgers, we know no lead is safe against Aaron Rodgers. 
you're not going to be able to say, oh, we're up 14, let's run the clock out. It needs to be, we're up 14, let's try and control possession, but at the same time, we also need to be aggressive. Now, I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan, you know, don't manage the clock well in the fourth quarter. You know, get yourself out of field goal range because you took a sack. That's not what I'm saying, but you need to be more strategic and less just, just oh, we need to run the ball in this situation. This offense is too talented for that. Anyway, we're going to move on here to our uh, next part of the podcast, and that is talking about the Minnesota Wild, who are 2-0 and so far on the season. They beat uh, Anaheim, they've beat L.A. to get up early, and the team has looked good so far. Uh, the defense and Talbot have played well. Um, I believe they've only given up three goals in two games so far this season, something like that. They have a test against Winnipeg tomorrow, and we'll see how that is. First game back at the X. We'll talk about that more tomorrow as well. But so far, so good for this Wild team. Uh, Have been unable to really sit down and watch whole games because, one, they were on the West Coast, and two, Bally Sports North. Uh, But it's still going to be a fun season for the Wild. I know I said that they probably, you know, manage your expectations with the wild this season, but that doesn't mean that they are not a good team. That doesn't mean that you can't be excited about what they're capable of, because I think they're capable of winning a lot of games this year. So just keep an eye out for them. And the one thing that I've noticed through these first two games, Kirill Kaprizov has been as good as advertised. He is the real deal. He's coming to play and he's been impressive. He's got at least one goal already. He's been on a roll. And you know what? He's making uh, this Kings goalie look pretty foolish. I don't know if you guys heard this uh, heard this clip over the weekend, but but it, uh, it was the Kings goalie, and uh, it was Drew Doughy, Doughy, whatever, uh, and he basically said, oh, I think he's a little overplayed for playing in 45 games. And you know what Kaprizov did in that game? He scored a goal on him. You know what he did last season, opening night? He scored a goal on him. Uh, that was that one wraparound that he had the breakaway on, made him look silly. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov is the real deal, dude. And uh, you guys can talk trash all you want. First of all, the Kings suck this year, so good luck with that. Second of all, uh, Kaprizov is going to be – I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything new, but I think my observations from following the Wild through the first two games, this team is going to be fine. They're going to win games. They're beating up on the bad teams, of course. They beat up on Anaheim a lot, and they beat up on L.A. last season, and they're doing what they need to do. They go in. They win. They get the points. They've gotten three points in each game. They go. They're back to the X. They're going to take on Winnipeg tomorrow, and let's see how that one goes. It's, uh, it's a good time to be a fan of the Wild. The season's starting. They're off to a 2-0 start. There's a lot of optimism, and we'll see if that can continue because uh, they haven't played Winnipeg in a couple of years now, and if they can uh, have a good matchup against them, if they can have a good outing uh, and get a win, uh, Winnipeg's a tough team and a team that certainly had the Wilds number over the last few years, so it'll be very interesting to see how they do against them. All right, let's talk here about the Minnesota Gophers here uh, because they had some games over the weekend as well, and they had a game against Nebraska, one that I said, guys, Nebraska's coming in pretty hot. They're feeling themselves a little bit, but P.J. Fleck has had two weeks to prepare for this Nebraska team. I still expect the Gophers to win, and they won. And not only did they win, they won pretty convincingly. Uh, this They had no answers. The Nebraska offense had no answers for the Gopher defense, which uh, last week we talked about an article in an SB Nation piece that basically trashed the Gophers and said that uh, they're overrated, they haven't played a tough team yet, Nebraska's feeling themselves. It should be a blowout. And it kind of was. I mean, it wasn't a blowout, but it was uh, definitely a beatdown by the Gophers. 
against Nebraska, not really the way that they wanted it, and uh, they complained that the Gophers run their third running back. Uh, well, guess what? The Gophers ran for a lot of yards, and I'm I'm blanking on the uh, the uh, running back's name, but uh, he had a really good game this week. Uh, believe it was uh, Bryce Williams was the guy uh, who's ran up and down the field. Uh, he had a great outing over the weekend, uh, really leading that Gopher offense. But one really thing that led the Gopher offense. Tanner Morgan. Do you see what happened? I've said it all week last week on the podcast. Trust Tanner Morgan more. Let him throw the ball a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean he needs to sling it and go deep all the time. It just means let him play. Don't don't rein him in. Don't feel like Tanner Morgan is a smart enough guy. He knows his limitations. He knows what he needs to do. I mean, he rarely will make the boneheaded interceptions, so he's still capable of them, but he rarely makes them. He stays within his purview. It's not like he's a Brett Favre you know, in the prime of his career, just slinging it around the field where he felt like you need to kind of keep him in check and make sure you're on him. Tanner Morgan is a player coach almost with how smart he is with this offense. Just let him do his thing. And you know what they did? He made some nice throws. His wide receivers made some good catches. Chris Ottman-Bell has been looking healthier. This Gopher team, at least the offense, is doing well. Oh, and by the way, this Gopher defense, they uh, played pretty well too, including that defensive line. Got a safety, uh, just all the like. The Gophers are playing really well right now. Which, again, if they just don't lose to freaking Bowling Green, they're ranked in the top 25, and they're actually going to be looked at a lot more seriously than they are now. Because you want to know why? Iowa lost to Purdue at home. Number two Iowa, by the way, lost to Purdue. Purdue beat the number two out of Iowa. That was a tweet from Purdue's uh, Twitter account, and it was 100% genius. Uh, this opens up the Big Ten West in a whole new way because before it was okay well you know the gophers they still you know whatever whatever they they have to beat iowa in iowa city and they have to be perfect the rest of the way going forward and the gophers still really do need to be perfect the rest of the way going forward but uh that means that if minnesota loses a game in the conference they have a slip up they still can beat iowa to get into the big 10 championship game this is, the path is open for the Gophers. Look at the, I mean, I know this isn't our What About Them Wednesday, but just look at the Big Ten West standings right now. It is all for the Gophers. Uh, in, I mean, it's, I mean, it still is Iowa's to lose, but the Gophers, they're first of all, they're second in the Big Ten West standings. Wisconsin is one and two. Now, they could climb themselves back in here. Let's not forget about the Badgers. But, uh... Minnesota is 2-1, Purdue is, but of course Minnesota has the tiebreaker over Purdue, and which just means Minnesota has to play better. They have to finally beat Iowa. If they can beat Iowa, it doesn't matter if they lose to Wisconsin, because they're going to play Maryland on Saturday. They should beat Maryland. They're going to play Northwestern on the road. They should beat Northwestern. They're going to play Illinois at home. They should beat Illinois. Then they're going to play Iowa. That one's going to, it's in Iowa City. You're going to have to win that one. Then you have an easy week against Indiana before you battle for the Axe. And this is going to be an interesting one. The path is open for the Gophers. There's a lot of intrigue because even if the Gophers, let's say the Gophers lose to Wisconsin, even if the Gophers beat Iowa, they still have a chance, I believe, uh, if I do my math right. But either way, it opens the door up because, again, the Gophers have a conference loss. So does Iowa. 
So if Minnesota loses one and they beat Iowa, then they both have the same record. Minnesota owns the tiebreaker, and bam, they're in. Now, Wisconsin could win some games and get back in this thing, but uh, Minnesota has definitely the easier schedule, I would say, so far. If you look at uh, Wisconsin's schedule, they have to play Iowa this weekend. They also uh, have to play Nebraska, and you know, even though the Gophers just beat Nebraska, they're still a team that can play. Uh, but otherwise, it's going to be an interesting Big Ten race going forward in the West, but this is what happens when you trust Tanner Morgan more. It just opens up your offense it's a lot less focusing on the run game because you do the pair and a spare thing. Uh, Williams played pretty darn well uh, without Potts or Ibrahim being in there. But uh, you don't put as much pressure on the young guy. And the, he still was able to run because the Gophers have a really good offensive line. And P.J. Fleck has adopted the Glenn Mason trope, pair and a spare. And it's working. It really is. So let's take a look here now. Uh, we'll talk more about the Gophers later this week, but let's finish up the podcast talking here about the Minnesota Twins. And let's talk about their left field competition here. We are going through all of the uh, position players for now, and we'll dive into a little bit more of the pitchers a little bit later, uh, and a little bit later in the week, I should say. And left field, the last position player group we're looking at here, left field. This one seems pretty black and white on paper. Uh, if you're not thinking about it too hard, just kind of the gut-level answers. Oh, it's Max Kepler. He's the right fielder. He's still under contract. He's a very team-friendly contract. He's just going to stay on that forever. This job is Kepler's to lose. He's going to be penciled in as the starting right fielder. But he's had a little bit of a wobbly past couple of seasons. And you know, there's been parts where he's played really well. But he's been very up and down. Max Kepler usually was that Twins model of stability in 2017, 2018, 2019, but 2020 and 2021, he's had that Miguel Sano, not as bad, his highs and lows, his lows aren't as low and his highs aren't as high, but he's still kind of that streaky kind of thing to him that Sano has had, and honestly, with a full slate of outfield prospects coming up, is his job safe? Because you have Larnick, you have Rooker, you have Kirilov potentially, if they don't want to keep him at first base, you have Royce Lewis or Austin Martin, there's just a whole slew of prospects that are on the way, and it's going to be very interesting to see what the Twins view this going forward. I would love to be a fly on the wall in Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, hearing what their thoughts are, talking about the left field situ or the right field situation, I should say, right field. Uh, because in right field, uh, Kepler's position here, uh, he's got it locked in. He's been you know, manning that part for years now, but... He hasn't been playing that hot, and he's under a very team-friendly contract. And that, so you only have a couple, you know, if you want to cut him, if you want to whatever. Or if, I guess there's no incentive to just keep playing him to play him like a, like a Josh Donaldson contract or maybe Miguel Sano who's making $10 million. Kepler makes half of that. So, it you know, there's not as much to lose if you made him make him ride the pine a little bit. But uh, the Kepler one, it seems pretty black and white on paper, but there's a lot of prospects that could steal some playing time from him. And another thing that's also important to mention is remember last year at the trade deadline when they traded Barrios, they traded Hap, and they traded Robles and all this stuff. And there was a second there where a few other position players like Buxton, like Snow, all these kind of things were being mentioned. And everybody was kind of like, oh my gosh, who's this next Twins player that's going to get traded? Are they going to trade Polanco? Are they going to trade Simmons? Are they going to trade X, Y, Z? All that kind of stuff. 
and they didn't, but Max Kepler was one of the guys that was very intriguing. Uh, you know, I believe there were some reports at the time that were kind of linking him that a few teams were interested. Obviously, the Yankees needed outfield help. Now, I don't know if they were actually involved. Who knows how close they got to trading or if the Twins, which I think the Twins are more just like, all right, just give us your offers. What do you got? We'll listen to anything. We will want to load up on prospects. Any player is available that doesn't mean that we'll trade him, but if you want to make us an offer, we'll listen. And Max Kepler was one of those guys. And how far did the Twins get? How close did they get to wanting to trade Max Kepler? So that's interesting to look at. Because if they want to trade him, if they see these young outfielders coming up, maybe they want Larnick to be the right fielder. Maybe they want Kirilov to be the right fielder. Maybe they want Rooker to get a spot in that right field. Wherever they have some of these young guys, maybe they feel like Kepler, because he's a veteran, he's on a team-friendly contract, would get a significant more prospect return than trading one of your prospects in Rooker or something like that, or maybe you wait to package some of them in a trade for a different guy or something like that. So there's a lot of moving parts to this, but I really think that Max Kepler's job is not as safe as we maybe make it out to be. So that's going to be something interesting to watch going forward is what is Max Kepler's future? Because I think some, I think Larnick could steal it. I think Larnick should be the left fielder, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rooker does either, depending on kind of how the fielding situation works out whether one is more comfortable being in left or one is more comfortable being in right. Uh, or just even Royce Lewis, if you move him maybe to – maybe move Royce Lewis to center field because you trade Buxton and, and uh, you know, something gets shaken up there. Maybe uh, there, there's just a whole lot of moving pieces here with this team and what you can do. And maybe you sign – you know, maybe you sign that shortstop. You move Royce Lewis to center field and you move – um, Austin Martin, you move him to the outfield as well, or something along those lines. There's a lot of interesting ways that this team can go. So don't be surprised if there's any talk about right field and changing that. And don't be surprised if the Twins, maybe not next year. I still think Kepler holds the job down in 2022, and there's probably a good shot he holds it through most of the year. But don't be surprised if maybe in 2023, or at some point during the offseason after that, or they just don't renew his contract. The point is, Kepler seems kind of expendable, and it's crazy to think from a couple years ago that Kepler might kind of be an odd man out on a Twins team where you think that he would really be one of the pillars of that team. All right, well, that does it for us today here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We will be back here tomorrow breaking down all of that. Of course, the Wolves season is starting up on Wednesday as well. The Wild play Winnipeg tomorrow. And, of course, just discussing more Minnesota Vikings and all of the rest. So we'll see you guys back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.